Welcome back to the second season of The Project Space, a podcast featuring some of the remarkable artists who have participated in the Project Space residency here at the Visual Studies Workshop in Rochester, New York. The Project Space residency has served both regional, national, and international artists for many years, providing a studio space and access to VSW facilities. I'm Ernest Davis. I'm a visual artist and the assistant curator here at VSW. For each episode, I will be in conversation with artists to discuss their background, their practice, and how the Project Space residency has impacted their works. Our brand new season starts off with a conversation with Aspen Mays and Dan Boardman, two artists and educators who have independent photo-based art practices and are also in collaboration with one another. Their latest work focuses on the Biosphere 2. I spoke with them about their time in residency together, the challenge of working on the topic of the Biosphere 2 project, and how AI became an uncanny solution to some of those challenges. I've included reference links in the show notes, including a link to the work of Kay Alato McDowell, an artist Aspen Mays mentions near the end of our conversation. All right, let's get to it. My name is Dan Boardman. I am from originally from Southern California, but for all intents and purposes, sort of grew up in the Finger Lakes. And my practice is divergent in many ways, goes a lot of different directions, probably most well known for these sort of in-camera pseudo collage pieces I make that use sort of drawing and um, little masks that go inside the camera. Gives you a sort of flavor of what I'm doing there. Hi, I'm Aspen Mays. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and I now live in the San Francisco Bay Area where I also teach photography at the California College of the Arts. And my practice involves a lot of cameraless image making, darkroom experiments and things like that. But what I'm really compelled by is the use of photography in observational sciences, especially astronomy and things like that, how, how it's been used to um, extend our vision or complicate our vision, which I think will probably be touching on quite a bit today in our AI conversation. But yeah, those are some of the things that really motivate me as an artist, thinking about different ways of knowing something, the ways that photography can contribute to ways of knowing. It definitely will factor into this <laughs> as yeah. we move in. Um, so to talk about how did you guys decide to do the residency together? Well, how did we decide to do this? So we had, we Aspen and I have sort of a long-standing a conversational collaborative process. We worked on um, a book together many years ago. We really liked working together and we right at the end of that project vowed to work together again on another project and sort of dove in headfirst on a couple subject matters we're really interested in. And over, I don't know, several years now, we've sort of like tinkered when we both have time to invest a little bit more into the project and then we knew about the residency here. I'm close by. I work over at Lightwork, um, which is in Syracuse. And Aspen was could schedule some time off to come out here. So the stars sort of aligned. And it just made a lot of sense. And then on top of that, VSW just felt right in the center of our wheelhouse in terms of our interests. Um, we felt that it would be a place that would really understand what we're up to mm-hmm. and be able to support us in a more holistic way than other residencies. Anything to add to that, though, Aspen? Yeah, I mean, I would say this is really one of the only, I guess, true artistic collaborations that I participate in that has just felt really enjoyable and easy and fun. Frankly, Dan and I have a lot of fun together, which is a big part of why we like uh, working together. And what originally brought us together was an interest in uh, the, the book that we made was about the Challenger space shuttle explosion in 1986, kind of intertwining an idea about a public or shared history, a shared historical moment interwoven with a very private photographic archive. And as Dan said, we enjoyed it so much, we really wanted to work on another book together. And what was interesting is that we started talking about uh, the biosphere as being this next subject matter. Mm -hmm. And then life just kind of intervened. We both took on different full-time jobs and things just got really busy. And it's the pandemic also brought us back in conversation around the idea of, um, 
thinking more heavily about the isolation that the biospherians, I know we're going to talk more about that as we keep going, but it really changed the, the some of the original ideas that we were working with, mm-hmm. being both isolated and removed like we all were. And it really put a little bit more urgency back into trying to get it going. And that's kind of where the VSW residency just felt like kismet timing, that we could come back together and try to really like push on, on this topic that we had wanted to do for a couple of years. So I'm actually interested in how you guys came to want to do work about the biosphere. It, it is really interesting to hear how, you know, the the pandemic and the reality that kind of <laughs> forced us all into our, our silos or in isolation, how that was something that you guys were thinking about pre-pandemic. Yeah, you know, I think I originally sort of found the biosphere of my work centers along the lines of looking at sort of corporate culture and how that is sort of bled into these like belief systems like uh, I use um, the seven habits of highly effective people where that sort of like stood in for uh, 10 commandments in a weird way. (laughs) It's like more valuable because it has like a corporate edge to it. And in doing research about those self-help books, that sort of started me down this inquiry about the biosphere, which has sort of elements of new ageness and um, intentional communities. And then it's sort of couched in this sort of like scientific underpinning, which is there and not there at the same time. And Aspen and I just have a conversational way of talking about the things we're up to. And I shared some things I had learned about it. And it is truly a remarkable story once you start to unpack all that it is. And we were both just so intrigued and thought, let's just start here. Let's see where this goes. Hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it hits a sweet spot that we're both, you know, because of our age and our generation, like we have our own really specific memories of the biosphere being in school and learning about it and thinking about this science experiment that had a lot of overlap with the challenger in some ways, and then had a lot of very significant divergence from mm-hmm. that story. And yeah, just kind of hit that like 90s, 80s, 90s sweet spot. And also, I think for us, which was important with the Challenger book as well, that it has some known, there's a controlled story, like a PR story about mm-hmm. it. And then there's all these like maybe other personal archives or personal recollections about it. It wasn't filmed on the inside. It was like at the dawn. I mean, the first season of The Real World was while they were in the biosphere. So interesting. Right. So it's right at the cusp. It's like now sort of incomprehensible that the whole thing wouldn't have been live streamed and, and, you know, every aspect of it recorded, it's really actually photographically, there's not a lot of images about their life on the inside that are accessible to the public. Yeah. That we had this like earnest desire to see like what was happening there so much so that we went to the biosphere um, two or three years ago now pre-pandemic pre-pandemic and just to sort of bear witness to what's there and you know it's been repurposed several times over since its original purpose so there's not as much there as you might think it's like kind of like a big nursery kind of feel to it yeah giant greenhouse yeah but then i would say that maybe the most enlightening thing was seeing like the quarters where people lived and they did have some artifacts like paintings they had made things like this and that was really fascinating and interesting to think about somebody living Hmm. in this bubble of course it's sort of like presented as a utopia right but we like i know that well and i'll say like and it's and it's interesting talking about how you are describing the interior and i'm putting that together with what my preconceived ideas about the biosphere was yeah. and even after talking with you all when you were here yeah. for residency. So for the sake of our listeners who don't have a memory of the biosphere or weren't born yet or actually have very little information about what the biosphere was, um, can you talk about what was biosphere to where is it, <laughs> where was yes. is slash, you know, yes. uh, those things. Yes. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a stab here, Aspen, but sure, please yeah. feel free yeah. to, to fill in the details. So uh, the biosphere is in Oracle, Arizona. It's just it's close to Phoenix, Arizona. That's right. Yeah. Close to Tucson. Tucson. Yeah, Tucson, Tucson. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the sort of like um, main sort of driving force behind it is this guy named John Allen. And he was somebody who had a sort of a group that followed him, that they had sort of established different intentional communities through the 70s and 80s. 
one out in the desert and another one in Fort Worth, Texas that they called the Theater of All Possibilities, hmm. which was actually on the, the roof of a building where they, yes. yeah. And so their sort of mantra as a group is that they did these improvisational performances that were you know, part play, part performance, where they sort of worked out their own group dynamics. So it's like rooted in this very experimental, almost verging on a cult kind of um, feeling to it. And then John Allen got really interested in this sort of like star child, let's shoot ourselves to the moon. We can, you know, take the genesis of what we've done here and then propagate the universe with it. He had these conferences, these biospheric conferences where he was bringing together disparate science backgrounds to talk about how you could make a sealed off community. And that got the attention of a guy, Ed Bass, who was like an oil magnate and they formed a relationship and Ed Bass is sort of underpinned and underwrote the building of this uh, large scale test, which was biosphere two biosphere one being like, the earth mm-hmm. biosphere two being this bubble that you could live inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the idea was that you would, you could, it would be completely self-sustaining inside with no outside influence and that then they could, you know, scale that or change that to different degrees. What am I missing in there? I feel like there's. Yeah. No, I mean, it's such a rich, it's, it's such an interesting occurred in such an interesting moment. I mean, they thought that they would also be able to grow all their own food. Like that's also what Dan said about, you know, self-sustaining. They would like completely recycle all their own water. You know, it was really a far reaching idea about how we could live in better harmony with the natural, with biosphere one with mm-hmm. the earth, but also how it could be monetized and corporatized to then also go into space or like set up a colony on Mars or something like that. Right. So it had a lot of goals, but it did have this sort of, I think at heart, a really optimistic vision for how we could coexist uh, in a more sustainable way. And it got, like, ultimately got sort of like picked up by the press and then used as a punching bag. Like, who are these people? They're not really scientists. Like, right. what is this experiment? And they snowballed from there. And I think they had a lot of self-doubt about that. Like in, inside, when the rubber hit the road, they sort of broke into factions. They sort of abandoned their tendencies to work out their group dynamic. And they did not not have enough food. And the building they built was not doing the thing it was supposed to do. It was like literally leaking or leaching oxygen out of the air. So they were like sort of suffocating to death inside of there. Yeah. So it's like when you read through the history, it's like, oh, this is a drama. Yeah. You know, they had enough. They had coffee plants, but turns out they had enough coffee plants to make one cup of coffee for each person every two weeks. So that's like not really, yeah, the plants are there, but it's not really enough for the people there. Mm-hmm. And they ended up eating out like a lot of bananas while they're in there. They're making like salad dressing out of bananas. It's so it's a really interesting confluence of like utopian ideal and then the rubber hitting the road of like oh wait a minute you can't actually plan and prepare for every outcome or at least this group did you know couldn't right yeah i mean they had a lot they encountered a lot of really serious challenges which one of the ironies of the whole thing i think it got really unfairly in many ways lampooned and also i think there was a real fear and mistrust of the sense of that they did theater, that they were interested in art. There was also a lot of like, but scientists can't like those things. I mean, there also brings up a lot of ideas that we have in culture about, about art and science, but they, one of the ironies of the whole thing is that the novel science that was produced by it was climate change science. Like Mm -hmm. basically they were living in a CO2 rich, unfortunately environment that was really hard on them physically and, and that's really what it's used as now they because they have a sealed environment where they can control things like that they can really test you know the harshness of basically future conditions on this planet so there's like some you know a lot of layers there and apparently group splitting into factions is a well-known um problem with a lot of the space colonization plans right. that nasa comes up with that that is something that is very difficult to overcome. So mm-hmm. of course you can build this incredible thing and you can do all these other things, but like at the end of the day, getting along with the other humans inside the thing is what almost, you know, sank the whole experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of incredible. I don't think I'm alone in thinking 
not thinking too deeply about Biosphere 2 no, yeah. um, before <laughs> hearing about your project. Yeah. Um, but every time you all speak about it and I hear about your research, because um, I remember growing up thinking that it actually was a NASA project. Right. I grew right. up in L.A. Mm-hmm. and um, I know uh, L.A. has some woo-woo tendencies or they also have um, a way of skewing what is news or what is, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like the the, the tenor or um, the vibe of a situation that um, what I gathered as a child <laughs> was that these were scientists who were somehow affiliated with NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to kind of know that these were actually people who were, uh, well, you know, had a pseudo-religious uh, beginning and were kind of doing this experimental thing that actually incorporated a lot more art into the process, you know, and also thinking about um, this idea of nostalgia and memory that um, this is all being filtered through a very younger self mm-hmm. um, right. and right. being confronted with um, the realities um, after, the, you know, research or after a document has been made about the, the time within there right. and to have some retrospect. Yeah. on um, the realities. And I think they did everything they could to make you make that association with NASA. I mean, they when they were locked into the biosphere, they were wearing jumpsuits mm. that were very reminiscent of what you might see an astronaut, you know, in a press release wearing. And so, and then they did everything they could also to sort of disguise their artistic leanings and background. I mean, it was, at least I perceived this, that there was a lot of fear about Mm -hmm. like being debunked as not legitimate. And because they had so much money behind them with all this oil money that they felt like, you know, maybe there's this pressure to deliver on something. And the only way it was going to be taken seriously is if they like sort of played the part. So maybe that's where the NASA thing comes from too. Yeah, I, I had that association too. Before I read about right. it, I mean, yeah. I think there were NASA consultants, uh, mm. certainly at some stage. But what's I think interesting also too is that scientifically, what was really compelling and interesting about that whole experiment is they were trying to do like planet level, like huge system biospheric ecological monitoring, which is very hard to do because there's just so many factors. It's so hard to isolate. It's like the oxygen, and then like the bananas would grow, but nothing else would grow. I mean, just like this huge system is happening and all these things are interacting, which is, of course, what it's like on Earth. And a lot of the science was really hard to do because you couldn't isolate everything from Mm -hmm. it. But now, fast forward to our time right now, I think they really were forward thinking in terms of we find ourselves in this present moment, realizing that all these interconnected forces are spiraling out of control and they have all these different impacts and 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 I think that moment in the 90s like when I was a child where it's like Captain Planet and mm-hmm. you know if we just recycle everything's going to be totally fine we can really you know we have a grip on this whole situation and we see ourselves now feeling like these huge systems are are actually totally out of control and they're affecting things um in really powerful dynamic ways yeah. part of their worldview and I think it was utopian, but also part of their worldview was to think about systems like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, Buckminster Fuller was one of the con- early consultant. William Burroughs was one of the early consultants for the biosphere. I mean, they were really thinking about and looking at um, systems thinkers, which uh, is, I think, really useful and exciting and amazing. And also it opened them up to a lot of criticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so we have this very dramatic, complicated, and layered <laughs> yeah. project called the Biosphere and all this time, um, and then your collaboration. So right, right. Um, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Can, can you guys kind of walk us through um, your time here in residency and how did you begin to tackle something like the Biosphere and how you um, are approaching that topic. This has been such an interesting project to work on. It feels like we've been gnawing on it for so long. And Aspen and I will get on these these tears of like solving <laughs> it, you know, like or it's like almost like we're writing yeah. a script or something. And, and we've tried it every way you could imagine to. And, in and, and, you know, for better or for worse, like, you know, this history is so interesting. It's so dynamic reading about it, going to the place. There's an amazing documentary about it. And um, we've always, and we felt like this with our first book too, we had 
we keep coming back to this idea that like, you know, we're artists, we don't have to tell the story. We're not like, we're not documentarians and like the documentary we would make would be bad. But, like we are artists and we're responding, <laughs> responding in a different way or like acknowledging some other aspect of it that we want to highlight um, because we feel like it's prescient or, um, you know, speaks to the rest of the uh, human experience and um but the challenge we've had and aspen uh, you feel free to jump in here but the challenge we've had is that we haven't had a visual thing to grind up against to edit from to use a shorthand to respond to and we're both you know photographers we come from visual media here and you know i think we both really love images and the history of photography and um yeah i think we we under recognize how important it was to the generation of ideas to be able to sort of flip through images, put them in sequence, pull things out, change the scale, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, what do we do? Yeah. I mean, you're, this is exactly, no, this is all, these are all, I mean, I think we, yes, there is a great documentary. Like Matt Wolf just came out with a um, spaceship earth, mm-hmm. which actually came at the very beginning of the pandemic. So there, there is material out there. There's certainly like a lot of press material about the biospherians, but the personal archive of the people who were on the inside is pretty tightly controlled. And in part, it's because they received so much criticism. The folks that were really deeply involved are are really um, reticent to share all of that material. And so we've seen the documentary. There's a great book by Rebecca Ryder called Dreaming the Biosphere. There's a lot of things that have informed our imagination about what was happening inside. And of course, the other irony is that they literally lived in a glass house. I mean, it's like, (laughs) there's no clear wall. (laughs) You can actually watch them inside. And yet the interiority of that experience is also really opaque to the rest of us. But of course, it's like, you read these accounts and you're like, imagining these group dynamics and living off bananas, just doing all the different things that were happening, not having enough oxygen. Mm. And so Dan and I thought we'll go there and make pictures. We've just tried to get at this so many ways. And we kept running back in circles. Like we have these, it's sort of a known story and an unknown story. So are we trying to tell that story? Are we trying to tell our own imagination of that story? Are we trying to tell a kind of nondescript future past, you know, there, we really kind of, um, I've tried a lot of things and never felt like it got enough traction to get interesting. And as I mentioned earlier, when we in the in the pandemic, we started thinking about the biosphere again is like, oh, actually, like this isolation and feeling like you're inside looking out and the way that the window became this, you know, in the the early beginning where you're going up to see your friends through the window, like all the different things that actually started to have this other resonance with the biosphere and handshake where folks would visit their friends inside the biosphere and put their hand up on the glass. Yeah. So, so it brought it all back in this weird, unpredictable full circle moment. Yeah. We had this like personal experience of being trapped inside. Yeah. And then we had these amazing anecdotes about uh, somebody's birthday and there's somebody, you know, like there's like all mm. sorts of amazing, really well-written anecdotes in these books that we're reading. Um, and we just never, we didn't have a way to sort of access that, like our access the, image that it was conjuring up from the materials that we're reading and the things that we're researching. And then, you know, long story longer, we're here <laughs> at VSW figuring it out, you know, it really enjoying the idea of, I mean, that was such a fun moment of really trying everything and yeah. sort of yes anding each other. Be like, let's try this. Let's try that. We, right. and a one night, I was home sort of fooling around uh, with my son who wanted to make a Pokemon card. And he had this like description of like a character who was like, he wanted it to be a cookie, but it was like a ninja. And he's like (laughs) describing it to me. And I was like, well, let's just try out this, this image generator thing. And like typed in what he wanted to do. And then it made this like cookie Pokemon character. Mm -hmm. And then we were texting and I was just like, well, let's just try this. And we just started typing in, like, I can't even remember where we began. It was like somebody. Yeah, and- it was like an, you know, a greenhouse that is dense and overgrown. You know, they, there was like kind of like the richness of the, I mean, that's what the text to image generators. It's, a, of course, a fascinating interface between description and visual output. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of unlocked it for us that, oh, actually, 
we don't, as Dan said, we're artists. We're not, we don't actually have to chase down an archive in this case, like we're talking about our imagination now fused with our own lived experience of the pandemic. Like we're actually now chasing down something that that is more imaginary and also exists from the vastness of all the images ever made, you know, in these data you know, training sets that we could probably get pretty darn close to our, our imagination of it. And that was the thing that was kind of astonishing at first is we were like typing in these things from, from our own imagination or from, you know, snippets from the book and it's bringing up the image that we were both thinking of. Yeah. And that was bizarre feeling to be like, no, that is exactly what I was thinking. And here it is now in front of me, but that's like, how could that exist? That's only in my imagination. And yeah, from there it kind of just spiraled into like, okay, well, we're now making this archive. We're like making the, the big moments and the little moments, like people having lunch and what would people, we started to ask each other, like, what would people take pictures of while they were there? They're not taking pictures of like high drama necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they are, might be taking pictures of day-to-day life. So like sort of maybe calling on our both the experience of vernacular photography before this and the sort of aesthetic of vernacular photography or like what the reasons the camera might come out Mm -hmm. and then using that to sort of build up an archive that isn't a storyboard because we we try to do that too right we tried everything yeah Yeah, it feels like it (laughs) yeah trust me we tried everything (laughs) we read faust to each other at one point during this This is so interesting, and it also is a little jarring to hear you're you're generating these images mm-hmm. through um, AI, like 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 an AI image generator. Yeah, and I I think I just assume that you're not going to get exactly what you're thinking, or you're not necessarily going to get anything that you have imagined. Right. But that isn't true. Well, we had that. You'd have that feeling in the dark room of like something coming out of the ether. Hmm. You know, like you're waiting, and it shows you ten or five versions of an image that you thought of, and not all the time. I mean, there's right. misses for <laughs> sure. But when it really clicks, it's like wow, that is stunning. And I should mention too, like earlier in the residency, maybe the first or second day, we just wrote down, unknowing that we were going to go into this AI direction, just little tidbits of text yeah. description. Yeah. I mean, probably a hundred of them, just like little phrases, little things, just as ways to start to connect things together. And then those ended up being perfectly, you know, applied to this yeah. format. Right. Because yeah. can I ask, what were you, what were you thinking about doing with those phrases? Were, were those going to be potentially some type of like speculative photo or some staged or created or constructed image? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we were just really trying to find a way in to to try to access this story. We're trying to like pull out what we thought were maybe the most provocative phrases or even just things that really set the scene. Like imagine, I feel like one of the early ones was like, a desert sunrise seen through the glass day 157 mm, or yeah. something like that. Like this feeling of like, we've been in here for almost a year or half a year. Yeah. We're watching yet another sunrise through the glass, like just things that were going to set the stage for, we weren't sure. I mean, we, we talked about staging, restaging some of these pictures. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just were like really trying to, f- to really turn over every stone. Like, is there some other way into this that we haven't considered and yeah, the text generating the image, I mean, it really was a surprise at first. I think Dan sent me, he texted me a picture. The first, like one of the first ones you made, it was like a sunset through in a greenhouse. And I don't even know exactly what it was. And it was like shocking. You know, it was like somebody's wearing a, a space jumpsuit, like seen from yeah, behind. It, <laughs> it was like, it was as if I had found the image yeah. we were looking for yeah. this whole time. Or maybe it talks about the limits or brackets around our imagination. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and it's also like the images were like, um, you know, they're mediated through our interest in photography too. So we're like using the qualifiers or descriptive like elements of photography, like a Polaroid image or mm-hmm. right. a black and white millimeter. Yeah. So that also gold. helps kind of keep... <laughs> Yeah, like totally. <laughs> yeah. That kept it on yeah. rails. Like yeah. it wasn't like anything. It was yeah. like, no, it's, it feels like the thing that we would discover or could have discovered or maybe exists and doesn't. And right. Yeah. It's a very unusual sensation. I, I'm hoping to hold on to what I want to say in response um, because 
as you're saying that I actually do want to hear more about how specific you had to become or how you learned to perhaps craft your your inputs your questions or however um the whatever language you put in there and then i'm going to go back so hold on to that and then i'm going back (laughs) and thinking about pre-pandemic times thinking about the biosphere but um during the pandemic that giving you perhaps like an an in um to thinking about what life was like and also thinking about that experience also crafting the description around what you want to see. But on top of that, um, what I think is really wonderful about hearing you all describe the images um, is actually thinking about the everydayness. But also that also brings me back to uh, our our time in lockdown. You know, those of us who experienced it that way, Mm -hmm. um, I I was in New York City. And so um, for everyone's super different, but thinking about, um, but how that gave you so many opportunities to embody what it must be like to perhaps be someone who has to shut in or thinking about people right. who are differently abled, right. um, mm-hmm. thinking about so many other uh, ways of living that came out of that. Yeah. Um, and for you, you all, I'm seeing it also as this, uh, another pathway into how do you tackle yeah. this very opaque and transparent, but <laughs> like kind of inaccessible um, society and then also how do you describe it and right. thinking of the language that you're using also coming from mm-hmm. being able to embody it because of you know right this collective lived experience that we've had yeah you know that's such a good point mm-hmm. um that you're making I feel like maybe our original or one of my original attractions to the biosphere story is like kind of the salaciousness of it like mm-hmm. just how baroque the drama felt Mm-hmm. And the and the architecture of the biosphere, and I think after and during the pandemic, I the the mon- mundaneness of it all actually became much more compelling to me. That like exactly what you just described, like and imagining, yeah, I'm fighting with whoever on the inside because we've been in here together. Yep, that feels like I can understand that. And then of course the vividness of the outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody that got into watching birds in their backyard. It just started to set up this contrast that I think allowed me a much more personal connection to what it really kind of must have been like in so many ways. And then I think the biospherians were really worried about contamination Mm -hmm. from a very different, Mm -hmm. not from a disease standpoint, but they were part of the, you know, the validity of the experiment was that there was no going to be no contamination from the outside. Mm And, and I think that layer started to also become really interesting, of course, because we were all feeling that in a really different way in the pandemic. So bringing all that, I mean, did I leave anything? I don't know if you want to no, add anything. I, that I actually, the sol- part, but. no, that totally solidifies. I think that you know, what I don't think I had the ever really quite lined up in my head that I think if we had stumbled upon this tool or had it existed um, earlier on in the project, we would have made higher drama images or we, we would try to be conjuring up higher drama things and having that lived experience really did ground it it's like oh yeah, yeah that sort of like seven in the afternoon feeling of being stuck in the house and it's like is it light is it dark out i don't know like this is hell (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and i just imagine that must be at least we're getting closer it's rhyming with what the experience in the biosphere must have been i mean they kind of had a higher calling and a purpose there was a they self-selected to be in there but the duration is so long i mean they were in there for for a year stint two years years. right yeah yes um yeah it's hard to believe yeah i know but you know here we are you know know. of course it was quite the same but right you, you know you're right that duration felt really different and more basically just more imaginable in a way and so the language part was also really interesting because Dan and I also found ourselves connecting to the descriptions again I mean we visited the biosphere so we had our own kind of idea about it but it was really interesting to go from language into visual mm-hmm. because of course photography has the connection to the caption is as old as the medium. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. always functioned with language, but after the fact, you know, not as the precursor to the image. Um, And it was just really interesting to learn how image order, like how describing a scene or a person or a setting 
adjective description order really could change the image as it was generated under and of course Dan and I understanding the history of photography are the fineness of the description about the type of camera or the output or the, all of that really helped us I think craft the kind of 90s look that we know from our childhood and that was a really interesting layer I mean to me I, I love also thinking about the specificity of that moment in time and then tagging it with the specificity of this moment in time where AI software yeah. is right now. Right. And it's glitchy. Yeah. There's artifacts. Like everything wasn't, there's a lot of things it can't quite do in a way. There's a lot of uncanny valley things yeah. that happen that we have tried to avoid. Totally. And like, yeah, we there. that's where the editing comes in, of course, like the sequencing and editing and like, okay, what is like mysterious enough to get away with and what is just like clearly glitchy fingers is like the hallmark of this particular AI at this moment. Although right. even since we were making this work oh, yeah. in earnest in October, November, November, yeah, November. Um, it's changed so much since then. I feel like this, we were playing with a toy and using it as a tool artistically. And then the conversation and culture around AI stuff sort of, maybe I'm just paying attention to it more because no, I think it actually, it. Kind of exactly yeah, it, erupted. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, you know, so for, for our listeners, this will be published later than w when we're recording. But for the sake of uh, like a timestamp, mm -hmm. we're recording towards the end of March. And mm -hmm. I actually had um, planned on speaking with both of you or scheduling you later in the year. But even while you were in residency, and I think right after you all left, mm -hmm. um just so many things happen that I was like, actually, I'm going to have to, to talk to them a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately got in touch with you. I was like, just letting you know, I didn't want to yeah. get in contact as soon. But because it has been speeding up so much, I have had a student over the summer who was working with um, a, a Twitter bot to create AI images. And even that has evolved. And then mm -hmm. seeing the images that you two were making during the residency, it kind of freaked me out because I was like, what, what is that? Wait a second. Yeah. So from the summer <laughs> yeah. until November, this has happened. Um, and so right. that also is a question that I would like for you guys to address now. It's just, you know, since I'm assuming that AI has not been a part of your practices before. No. Um, and if it is now, yeah. then what is, how is that working with this medium that is changing so expon exponentially? And then how is it factoring into how you make these photographs and even thinking about these glitches or these right. um, imperfections that thwarts like this is AI generated or machine generated and not right. necessarily right. something that you guys photograph? Like, how are you, right. what's that like? Wow. Well, I mean, you know, something that I find in thinking about this conversation and preparing for it. I was kind of imagining to myself like the biospherians or the synergists or the theater of all possibilities folks might have been sort of delighted by this technology. There's something about it that is fascinatingly it can be utopian. It can be deeply dystopian. It taps into everybody's like fear about where this could go. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that this feeling that this thing could be all-knowing and pulls from the vastness of all human experience, I think might have been really appealing and interesting to them. I mean, part of the design of the biosphere was to pull from ancient civilizations, you know, like all the, like the kind of greatest hits of humanity, like the yeah. way that this was, <laughs> this is our birthright to pull from everything that already exists. And that is also how this software works. It is training on basically any picture that it can train on and the internet. So there's this feeling that it could, it's like kind of utopian Tower of Babel in and, in and of itself. And of course we can also think of like all the deep dark ways that it replicates bias. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's a utopian thing, but it hovers around, it touches on all these things. And I think the biosphere itself did that. And so I, I think to me, it's not necessarily something I'm thinking about in my personal work, although I don't know, who knows? the machine overlords might make me do that in the future but i think for this project it feels it just feels really right um and and i and i think the errors are its inability to completely accurately whatever that means in air quotes mm -hmm. describe this is also the place that i feel about it like we weren't there you know i remember it right 
but we weren't inside, you know, so it can't, it's just sort of an unknowable space ultimately. And I get the feeling like, you know, as we were generating images, that's like, we're, we're adding so many qualifiers to these images and it's like, are we working with 10 images that it's like just like conjuring up these same things and recombining them over and over? Right. Like it feels like the image that we're working with was not that expansive. Hmm. But that being said, we are also asking it to conjure up something super, super specific. Right. And do you offhand or do you have any right now? Can you give a description of your input? Something that's super oh, specific. Oh, I got really obsessed. Oh, you had so many good ones. We, I got really obsessed with trying to make an image of like tourists looking in, looking, standing in the desert of outside, you know, in Oracle, Arizona, looking into the biosphere, like wearing cut off jean shorts, you know, it was like <laughs> yeah. that level yeah. and like oversized tie dyed shirts. Like I was really trying to hit this nineties moment and trying to imagine, you know, and as soon as you said tourists, when you added that language, and then all of a sudden, all the people in the picture, like their shadow on the ground, you could tell yeah, they were holding a camera. camera. Yeah. Uh, or like, like you get the language, these, the, yeah, it was so interesting. It's like you just add the word tourist and it added a camera. Yeah. Into the scene automatically. You didn't have to say camera. You're like wow. a lot of like sunset in the desert, looking out of a giant greenhouse at people having a picnic with, you know, like we'd add more and more to it. Like we're almost trying to push it as far or as far as we possibly could in terms of description, like mm -hmm. keep adding another layer, another sort of like qualifying thing to just to see how far we could push this specificity. Yeah. And it with no issue added specificity over and over and over again. Like you could, you could just infinitely go. It's like limited just by your own imagination really, which is a fascinating thing to be, confronted with right like okay and it's a great way to have a collaborator because we could sort of egg each other on and be mm -hmm. like oh i tried this and it gave me this and right. okay add that and like what order did you do it in and, okay let's try it like this and it was a real right. real good reason to be in the same room together because that energy was like a writer's room or something Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a point too where I, we realized the difference between saying that greenhouse and space frame or adding space frame to greenhouse, then all of a sudden like would really like change the scale of the, the kind of space that it was depicting. That was really interesting. I mean, of course, like, I guess that, that maybe is an obvious thing to say, like a greenhouse is really different from, or a space frame is a really particular qualifier. Mm -hmm. Dan was like trying to create Oh, like an electronics fire or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like trash in a bucket and like <laughs> with window lit. It was, it's more astonishing than the description, like by tenfold. The right. images themselves, they live beyond the description in a way that is so, it's just everything that I love about photography, right. really. And I got that same sensation looking at these images that were conjured up seemingly, obviously not from nothing, but from this huge yeah. bank of other images. But yeah, right. but yeah, in terms of like thinking about AI technology and its, you know, exponential growth over the last even few months here, I mean, I think chat GP4 came out or is I in think, beta right now. I think it came out on Monday. It's yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that one, that's apparently what like the beta for the Bing search thing is based on that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not supposed to be like a little better. It's like a lot better. Like before the chat was just barely passing the SATs and now it's like scoring in the 90th percentile. Right. It's passing the long form LSAT, no problem. Like mm -hmm. it's a lot smarter, a lot better. Yeah. And there's a lot of like doomsday prediction stuff about that, which is interesting. I think it says a lot about our culture that like we immediately go to those and super negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um and the negative outcomes like you have to walk through a lot of doors to get to them. But then again, like you have these chatbots hiring a task rabbit to solve a captcha because they can't get through a thing that asks if they're a robot. Right. So it's like, <laughs> so they're hiring, they're hiring a human. Oh, wow. And like telling, giving the human a reasonable explanation. Like I'm vision impaired. I can't mm -hmm. pick which of these images have a bicycle in them. Right. And then it'll solve that and then let them in the door. So, I mean. Right. Yeah, it's all there. Like it's yeah. freaky. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm very torn about it. I'd have no answers about that. I just this is a fascinating tool, visual tool. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it any super deeply. I, I do think it comes with a lot of issues in terms of the way it's scraped images from the internet. That seems uh seems to be trouble there. Mm -hmm. Like uh 
appropriation on such a mass scale with no consent. I haven't unpacked it fully for myself, you know, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I would agree with that, I guess. And of course, I think there's a lot of like kind of breathless um, fear based, like a lot of the writing I think right now is just feels so it feels like really basic, you know, it's just like, but then it will replace us. And like human creativity is that's what makes us human. And now we aren't, I don't know, some of that stuff where you're reading are just photo forum stuff where people are like, this can't be called photography. And you're like, all right, everybody yeah, take yeah. a deep breath. That's, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> like it doesn't have yeah, to be. Exactly. It's, yeah. and I, and it's always been a part of the medium, like this technical technological turnover crisis point yeah. is like every couple of years in photography. Yeah. And, and that's part of what makes it really compelling, yeah. I think to use and to play with. And I, I guess that sort of stuff, I, I find a little bit, you know, like predictable. It's like, of course, this is what everybody's worried about, right. but it also has all this other potential that's quite fascinating. And I guess that kind of collaborative element to it was really interesting to me that it felt like we were doing this thing in real time where it was like, Oh, if I change this, you'll do this. Mm -hmm. Like it was another, it was was like this other kind of thing in the mix with Dan and I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it felt like a culmination actually of a lot of hard work, research and dead ends Yeah, that like, finally, this is like thing is allowing us to sort of break through and move forward. And actually it's sort of traditional way. Like we're going to make a photo book of this and that's going to take on a somewhat predictable form probably. I mean, we don't know exactly yet, but the means to get there has been so unusual, like the path to get to this point in the project. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that actually is my, it, it doesn't have to be a final question. I am interested in, in what's next. And I was thinking about perhaps the form this takes and whether or not you are planning on incorporating language or incorporating any type of AI communications as you go forward. I don't know. We haven't really talked, haven't really got there yet. <laughs> you know, it's uh, there. I feel like that will reveal itself if it, if it needs, like if it feels like the work needs that, I don't think we're opposed to including text um, to describe. But I mean, when, with the Challenger book, we felt like it was really important to be as clear as possible about what you were looking at. Mm-hmm. And so we, we put in a very concise, a very short, but um, spelled out description of this is what it is, you know, how, this is how we came to have it kind of thing and we felt like that was important for that work but for this it feels different for some reason but yeah i don't know aspen do you have anything to contribute yeah here? no i'm we thinking about that yeah. it's a really it's yeah. an interesting question i mean i think about what you just said dan about how you know ultimately this might actually take a fairly traditional shape i mean i think that's interesting to me when you think about some of these first things coming out with ai like you shared that artist k alato mcdowell mm-hmm. some of these first like really compelling things are novels like yeah. it's not like you're actually tearing down the form or the container that's been like a well-established human artistic output but the use of language i think yeah that's something we're really considering we haven't touched on it in this conversation but the language that we have been working with Also, not to generate images, but to generate material for the book is actually uh, 90s era infomercials, like the language in those um, in those forums and not to generate images. We're not putting those. That's not the input, but it's a kind of companion to these pictures, at least at this stage, imagining a kind of omniscient viewer or or a voice on the other side saying like i can see your life call me now you know kind of beckoning through all of this totally like a one-way voice this thing that's like through a one-way mirror almost like if you were just to be cycling through tv channels and come across this like message like i can see your life Mm -hmm. if you're in a certain place in your life that it's meaningless to you and you know that it's solicitation and if you're in a desperate spot in your life this is very meaningful to you and you you need someone to know or you you're seeking answers. So we're kind of playing with that a little bit too. That's maybe the the narrative wrinkle yeah. that is still developing. Yeah. yeah. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about the significance of infomercials yeah. and if there's anything in particular about how 
an infomercial <laughs> sounds or the language you hear in an infomercial versus yeah. language for any other kind of like advertisement? Yeah, it's such a good question. I, mean, I think this is also so specific to that era. And I yeah. even have conversations with students about it, whereas if you didn't, this, I mean, this, so this really would be like the nine, the era of the biosphere, like early 90s through the 90s. I mean, the internet is like in its very beginning. So this idea of the internet that we experience right now was not there yet. And you would primarily be watching television late at night and an infomercial would come on and often the language was asking, you know, ask, asking you to make a connection. Hmm. Like, are you lonely? Do you need answers? The things that we've always wanted since time immemorial, like to not <laughs> feel isolated, to not feel alone and to know that what the future is going to be, which of course right. is also what the biosphere is about is like predicting the future, controlling the future. I mean, mm -hmm. it's in Oracle, Arizona, of course, you know, it's just all the things that it's yeah. about. So at that moment in time, I love thinking about the importance of the telephone that it's like TV is the medium. It's like the the way that you connect. It's not this individualized device that you can completely kind of like the algorithm will tailor it to all your needs and you're only getting ads for things that you want to see. It's like just this catch all late night, the commercial is the commercial. And that kind of beckoning voice that they, you know, the kind of the language used to try to get you to bite. And yeah, just like simply like changing the context, like if you're encountering just that language by itself without mm -hmm. the black and white, you know, person mopping the floor or whatever it might be, or the television psychic, the language is very provocative yeah. and very insistent on itself. And so depending on your mental state, it's going to mm -hmm. mean something completely different to you. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. in the oven right now, too. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, we have we really we watched a lot of '90s infomercials from television psychics, and that was like also felt like a a really also '90s phenomenon. Um, although, of course, the idea of an oracle or a psychic is not new at all. But right. that mm -hmm. idea that you could call somebody and you would pick up the phone and it would be a human. I mean, I think that's the interesting maybe counterpoint to this AI generator, where it feels like the all knowing machine that you cannot. Like, who is it? What is it? It's not an entity. Isn't it an entity? Is it sentient? Mm -hmm. Like what the, but the idea that the psychic is a person that you would call, you would just pick it up and say like, well, I'm Dan mm -hmm. and I'm really having, I want to know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills next week or yeah. am I going to fall in love or, you know, that feeling that it's a real person, you know, a real person on the other side. Maybe that I'm just saying this out loud and it's making so much sense to me, but maybe that's also <laughs> the counterpoint in some ways to the AI. It's like the voice that omnipotent voice that was a real voice yeah. was a person at that period in time. I mean, because I was actually thinking of it and I was trying to get out of it. <laughs> All I could think about like the language of an infomercial as an input right. into mm -hmm. a person or into us, you know, if, or the person who it hits with, if you're lonely or if you're, if you're in a state where it's like, I, you know, I would, I would fall to the traps of Miss Cleo. I'll call her right now. Right. Like, let me know all the things. Um, and so then there is that kind of relationship there. Mm -hmm. But as you're speaking, Aspen, like, I believe there are, are dating apps that are uh, just about AI, yeah. where yeah. where people know that they're talking to an AI. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there who would rather right. tell all their secrets and actually form real relationships for them with um, with with a bot That's or a good with point. a learning yeah. machine, I'll say. Yeah. And so in a sense, like thinking about this as a counter, yeah. there, there are some, of course, drawbacks and some utopian dystopian things in between there yeah. mm -hmm. and also kind of you know what i don't know i'm suspending judgment right now because i don't know what it's like to want to interface that way with um something that i know as a machine I, I won't judge that knowing that it it does um create real feelings inside someone mm -hmm. just the same way that someone who is really attracted to an infomercial yeah. that's asking you like are you lonely right like, a lonely person will reach out because of real feelings um and hope in, in the hopes of getting those needs met even by a stranger well right? i mean and even looking at these ai pictures that we were generating they gave me the exact sensation of looking at any other photograph. Right. A yeah. good, like a good one was like, that is really good. And it felt like I made it or it felt like we made it together. And right. it's like, right. Or we like plucked it out of the unconsciousness. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it had the same feeling, which is strange to say, because I feel like both Aspen, you and I both have very labor intensive, crafty kind of, 
processes yeah. in our you know normal practices but like here we are typing something in and the machine makes an image it's satisfying it's very and that sort of like awe of like yeah i can imagine talking to a chat bot and having an emotional reaction if you know yeah without a doubt without a doubt yeah. i mean i think we're actually a lot simpler than we think i think it's like humans and the human brain is like complex and also very basic like very simple and the things we want to respond to are not as much of a marvel as we sometimes put them out there to be but i uh, think it yeah. is a marvel yeah in, in that yeah. sense that it and i'm wondering and you know just as an observation because i, I wonder if the feeling also comes from a lot of this labor behind or these years mm. of trying to figure out that how to approach this. Mm. And then you kind of land on something that seemingly, you know, you don't see all the all the machinations, all the, of the background. And we're describing the learning machine without knowing the nuances of building an AI bot or the nuances mm -hmm. of what equations you need to put into uh, um, some type of thing to scrape the interwebs. Um, all yeah. you know is that you've put in this language, you've done the best that you can at that, and that's informed by all these years of of collaboration and toil and thinking and ruminating, and then you know you get this thing, and it it's seemingly simple. It's really right. not. It's ex right. an extremely complex image, and an extremely complex process that is mysterious but real, and creates this emotional feedback, and also yeah. perhaps this weird perhaps like dissociative moment was like, well, what is this? Like, uh, this is, I didn't yeah. make this, but you did make it. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's right. here. And, and uh, I don't know how it was made, but then you kind of do at the same time. Um, yeah. I, that's just. You're right. Yes. Humanity. <laughs> we will continue on. I take back my statement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you're right, though. It's, it's possible because there are so many Im there are actual images of a tourist in jean shorts in the 90s, yeah. like, <laughs> the desert. like, because those exist there, it's possible to kind of use this. I mean, it actually keeps me, it just really brought me back to the idea of the theater of all possibilities, even calling it, calling itself that it's like, you could call this AI generator, mm. the theater of all possibilities. It's like, it's all out there. It's all it's kind of all on a stage already. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that it feels like so generative. I mean, it, it will be, it's, it's what, I mean, it's like, I think that's what, that's what its potential is. It's like, if, if we use it to generate things that feel like they're about connection and kindness and all these other things, then it will learn that. And if we mm -hmm. don't, it won't. Yeah. This is going to be such a funny moment to a time capsule, but point. In oh time yeah, it's going to be because like, it's wow, like so it's basic. like looking at a PlayStation <laughs> One, like be like, yeah. that's real. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And then you look yeah, at it exactly. now, and it's like three polygons. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, like that's terrible. Yeah. No, it really will. I mean, I yeah. think that yeah. was yeah. that was a thing just last week about it's really improved with hands. human hands. Like yeah. that. that oh, yeah. Was one yeah. of the things that, and we found that to be true in November. We would just. We really wanted to do the Biospherian handshake as a as a composition. It was really hard not to have it just be like, "Whoa, that doesn't look actually... so bizarre." Yeah, you know, well, there's this thing in I was reading about AI that you know, there's sort of, someone was sort of equating it to like the electric car, and the electric car has this issue of the last mile that mm. like they've got all the technology there, it's all going, but they have to solve this like, how does it park? How does it do the final turns? How does it like? Right. It's all that sort of like complicated last mile of a trip that it they thought oh well we'll solve that in the next year but it's like no actually you're on an exponential curve and you're hitting the part that's extremely hard mm -hmm. and it's going to take a long time to figure this part out and ai is i feel like is on the same trajectory where it's like you got most of the way there and now it's like all in the details and we're so good at picking up what's wrong about an image mm -hmm. like we're so good at like cluing into why something is off and it could just be like the look on someone's face or body language and that's right. going to be much harder to nail considering our own like i mean we're more inundated with images now than we've ever been mm -hmm. people are really good at looking and at images and knowing what they're about decoding them so I get the feeling we're going to be in this sort of limbo territory with AI for a long time. It's actually really bringing me back to thinking about the descriptions we read about the biosphere that 
in underneath and in all these tunnels underneath all these structures is all was all the electronics like it was really meant to be hidden like that it was such a sophisticated entity the the biosphere itself like the the synergists who made it really believed in a kind of nature plus technology future where mm -hmm. we would we would integrate with machines in such a way that we'd be able to live in a much better world and a more sustainable world. And that a lot of the electronics of the biosphere were meant to be hidden from view, but it was a vast array of machines keeping that thing alive and possible. Like it could not have existed without that. It wasn't, you know, it had like a really sophisticated like lung um, oxygen mm -hmm. intake system. Mm -hmm. It was a remarkable technological feat. And it was also meant to sort of be like, a little bit of the Wizard of Oz, like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I feel like we're in this space again, too, where it's like, like you said, it's such a sophisticated marvel. But then at the end of the day, it just spits out a picture that you're like, yeah, like my cousin could have, that could have been from my cousin's, like whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, is, is there anything... Uh, yeah, any anything else that you would like to add to that? Because I touched on like the history of humanity pretty I much. Think, yeah, I we know. kind of covered it here. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to say that it's it's such a pleasure to work with Aspen on things. It's so like oh. when we get in the room, it's like um, I feel like a little kid. Like we're like playing make believe and egging each other on, but. But then it gets into these deep philosophical like <laughs> like dog legs, you know. So a very uh, fruitful co collaboration. Yeah. Well, I just appreciate you saying that so much. And I feel the same way. It's really been so generative. I feel like I I have so much fun. We laugh so much. I feel like when we're laughing a lot, we know we're really on to something. Yeah. But it's really been like, I don't know. It's been it's just been such an interesting experience. I don't think I would have gotten here by myself. And that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, same. And it was so amazing to meet up. you or like when we were there. It was yeah. like, felt like really awesome to also have made this connection. And yeah, just and also to say about VSW, which is just a remarkable place for artists. It's really unique. It's one of a kind. They take it very seriously. They're very kind and they're very open. You can come here and they will help you do your thing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's I wish more places like this existed. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's also not for nothing that the origin of VSW tracks at the late 60s moment of late 60s, early 70s moment of what can, how can we save a space for experimentation? How can we support artists? How can we set up a a place where all of these things are accepted and they are not only accepted, but they're like, you know, Champions. really encouraged yeah. and, and nurtured. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not for nothing that the synergists also, that's sort of the same time period of their origin, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting connection to make there, especially a project like yours even thinking about the process of how open you've had to be to even tackle like what are we doing we're interested in this thing but how do right. we get at it and maybe one day we'll finish this project oh my gosh <laughs> I know. well actually i'm wondering yeah. how how are you continuing to work together and do you think you need another residency to, to yeah. Like oh yeah yeah that yeah. is definitely yeah we need we need like a six-month residency here yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I mean, we're actually, I feel like we're in some ways really close. Yeah. It's yeah. just going to be kind of, we really generate, I mean, maybe there's still some more images to generate and it's interesting to think about doing it now. They're right. going to look different than the set that we generated just a couple of months ago, but that also might be really, really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're pretty close. It's just that that last mile. That last mile. And now, yeah. yeah, and Aspen and I both have very busy life with kiddos and jobs and things yeah. like that. So I'm, I get the feeling when the semester ends, we'll like, there'll be some energy. Let's do again. it. I think yeah. we, I think at this point we're at the place where we could go back and forth. You know, it's okay to be. This we're is kind committing of on this podcast. This <laughs> yes. book will release yeah. September Publishing 1st. Date. Check Publishing back. Date. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll. <laughs> I'll be sure to get this out before then. Before oh. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely, definitely will come out. And and actually, I was actually just thinking about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if it changes again? Um, what if I have to release this a month before I had originally planned? It's just yeah, things yeah. are, are changing. Um, and yeah, just really interested in, in how this continues to evolve because it's endlessly fascinating. Um, I have to say. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast and, and sharing so much. And uh, yeah, it's been really a really wonderful conversation. 
Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. And there you have it. I encourage you to visit the websites of Aspen Mays and Den Boardman to learn more about their practices. I've also included a reference to Aspen and Dan's VSW artist page, which has an image of their previous book collaboration about the Challenger Space Shuttle. Those links are in the show notes. And if you are joining us for the very first time, a special welcome to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a listen to the artists featured in season one and stay subscribed so you don't miss our upcoming episodes in season two. To learn more about the Visual Studies Workshop, please visit us at vsw.org, where we have information about the project-based residency and our current artists in residence. Keep following us on Twitch and Instagram at the Visual Studies Workshop, and feel free to send me an email at erinasdavis at vsw.org. That's H-E-R-N-E-A-S-E-D-A-V-I-S at vsw.org. This podcast is funded in part by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of New York State Legislature. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Aspen Mays and Dan Boardman. In the meantime, please take care 